The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. We're back. It's another edition of the Hidden Yardage Podcast. I'm Mark Lane. He's Sean Martin. Sean, where can folks follow you? Hey, I am at Sean Martin NFL. So you kind of just gave it away right there. Come on in on Twitter and Instagram, all that. And uh, what do you make of what's gone on with the Cowboys over the past week? Just in a nut, like, give me a few words. Give me your scouting. You know how scouting reports like brought us in them, they just basically use words or phrases and semicolons and so forth. What what are your phrases and, and just quick words to describe the past week at the NFL Combine for the Cowboys? Uh, frustrating, disappointing, but not unexpected because in a 24-hour period on the front page of our website, bloggingtheboys.com, I had two articles come out and one had the words, Glass half full, right in the headline. Because I tried so hard to look at all of this from a glass half full perspective. And we can talk if you want about you know what I actually put in there. But I tried so hard. And then the Amari Cooper news came out. And it was every bit as bad as we could have ever imagined. And in the exact same day, I wrote an article. Uh, basically, you know, it wasn't, I didn't use the glass half empty side of things. But if you dive into that article... It's basically just breaking down how disappointing everything is in terms of how they're handling this, the comments, the public perception. And really what I got into is what it meant for Kellen Moore and Mike McCarthy moving forward. And it wasn't necessarily good news there either. So, yeah, you know, just just your typical Cowboys put you through a roller coaster of emotions in a 24-hour period. We're used to, you know, two or three-hour periods on Sunday game days, but in the off season, I guess it takes 24 hours, but that's not any better. Yeah. And I would say that it was, it it's glass half full, just wrong end of the glass. <laughs> you know, that that's how it usually goes. Whenever you're dealing with the Cowboys and free agency, this is always, the frustrating part this is the part where it's christmas and you're with the family and the grandparents and your cousins and everything and they get to open up all of the cool presents 
and you just get socks. That's this portion of the offseason for Cowboys fans. And I predict that by the time we get to the draft and everything, and Will McClay and the scouting department get to come in and work their magic and nail their picks, that people's frowns will turn upside down. I guarantee it. That's how this goes. Well, the thing is, Mark, and you mentioned getting socks for Christmas, you know, but just last year, you got some good pairs of socks, didn't you, if you're a Cowboys fan? You know, I mean, just last season, you got guys like Jaron Coase and Moe Cooker later in the year, both at the safety position, and Keanu O'Neill. I mean, some of these free agents really helped you, but now it doesn't even seem like they're putting themselves in a position, you know, to go get those types of guys. And if they are going to do that, you know, we understand they need cap space. Okay, I get it, Stephen Jones, but you know, is moving on from Murray Cooper the right way to do that? Well, certainly most fans don't think so if you've been anywhere near social media the past couple of days. Yeah, let's go ahead and, and dive into that, and then I can make more sock comparisons later. But were you surprised at all by the report coming out that the Cowboys are likely to cut Amari Cooper when the new league year starts? In other words, free agency. Well, the surprising part is that, you know, this has happened to them with big-name players before, so maybe it's a little bit less surprising just because of the Cowboys being the Cowboys here. But nonetheless, the surprising thing is that right after, you know, news breaks to the entire NFL media world that they plan on releasing him, you know, the asterisk or the caveat comes out that, oh, but first they're going to look to trade him. Well, but the whole world knows knows that you're putting him out on the market, and they've done this before and the results are never good. So that's, you know, the one element to this that, you know, it feels like maybe not as big of a deal, but it really is a big deal in terms of the Cowboys being stuck in the cycle of they either overvalue their own players and they keep the wrong ones, which they'd be doing here. Not saying that, you know, they're releasing Cooper to re-sign guys that they shouldn't re-sign. They're going to get some other of their own names back in the fold here. Or they let the wrong guys leave without getting compensation before uh, you know, before they could put themselves in a position to do that. And that's how you end up with a roster that you know just hasn't gotten over the hump. Yeah, and I think that with the Cowboys, with the way it is, um, you just you take a look at it and it doesn't really make much sense to telegraph like that because um, you're dealing with the rest of the NFL knowing that, but I don't think them putting it out in the media would have been that big of an issue because if you just look at his contract and how, in their cap situation, they're going to be cap strapped. So, and his production was down last year. So it just kind of made sense that the Cowboys would be in this problem. And it's kind of like what people say to their bosses that uh, text them to come in on their day off. You know, your problem's not my emergency. And and that's how the rest of the NFL kind of looks at it. Well, we don't really have a need for Amari Cooper. We're doing good. We don't want to take on that contract. So... Your salary cap hell is uh, not among our sins. And I think that that's where the Cowboys are at. 
And it's really, you know, unfortunate that for all of their talk about salary cap management, looking down the road, that they can't see past the hood ornament on the on the front bumper. You know what I mean? Right. right. So yeah, I mean, here's a depressing stat for you that I put in the article. You know, the Cowboys. We've talked about how can they overcome some of the things that held them back last season, and one of the biggest things is penalties. And McCarthy's already talked about that twice, most recently at the combine, as being such a big focus. And you know, that's yet another thing that we'll have to see to believe. But you know, how do you overcome penalties and mistakes and trying to put together drives that don't result in field goals but touchdowns? You know, Cooper has helped you in all those areas. Yeah, the consistency is not there, the injuries, some different things. But Amari Cooper accounted for 14% of the explosive plays that the Cowboys made in the past game last season. You compare that to what some other big-name receivers around the NFL did. He's right in there with the guys like Adam Thielen, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Emmanuel Sanders. You know, those guys aren't in, you know, best receiver in the league conversations, but those are all guys that those respective teams love to have, and you better believe they might find a way to keep, unlike the Cowboys are doing here to uh, to Cooper. So, yeah, you know, life without him is certainly going to be a, a much different offense. I think what might have happened to Cooper a little bit was he may have been the victim of the the Cowboys offense. Uh just starting to fall apart after Dak Prescott got hurt because he he had some games where he, he just seemed to disappear, um, like that Arizona game. And these are games that are down near the final part of the season. Like he had three catches for 18 yards, admittedly, for a touchdown. But you'd you you kind of needed one of those century mark games for your receiver to take over. Uh, it was also evident in the wild card game against the 49ers. That was a game where he was getting single coverage. And so it may also be a case of the scheme dictates that they spread the ball around, therefore you don't need someone like Amari Cooper taking up all of your your salary cap space when... Yeah, I mean, how, how confident are you that we're not going to have this exact same conversation with C.D. Lamb next season, though? You know, hey, why, why didn't he step up the same way Cooper did? Why didn't he do all these things? You know, we, 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 I love C.D. Lamb. We could be right back here in this exact same, exact same conversation because you didn't keep the two together, you know, for more than, you know, enough games to ever even see any playoff success or anything like that. Well, I think you were skipping ahead, which is good, because this is where I was going, was I, how much of being able to spread the ball around is because Amari Cooper is on the field. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, that's, that's a huge deal. I mean, you talk about kind of Prescott's best plays being some of those unscripted things that he does and being able to, you know, find guys lighting it down and the scramble ability, all of that. Uh, you know, Cooper certainly has an ability to help you out with. And there was the, those big headlines a couple of years ago after the Eagles game where he just torched the Eagles, which he did so many times in what's going to be his unfortunately short time with the Cowboys, we think, um, where he 
was you know changing his routes with Prescott, and they basically just turned it into you know Tony Romo to Des Bryant, figure something out type of football, and it worked for those guys pretty good. And Prescott and Cooper were able to do some of those similar things. Um, now you could also probably say that maybe the Cowboys didn't take too kindly to some of the things Cooper did when it comes to you know changing his routes or anything like that. We haven't heard you know publicly too much about that, but nonetheless, this is a guy that. Not consistently, like I've already said, and I'll admit it, you know, they couldn't do it consistently, and that might be more about the coaches that you still have in the building. But this is a guy that made big plays for you and a guy that I don't think, you know, on his current roster, and, you know, I, we do have a draft to talk about and prepare for next month, but it's a guy that is hard to replace. There's just no doubt about it and no other way to say it. And You can't replace him by preaching the fact that you have cap space now. You can't replace him by saying that he was going to take up too much of the pie, any of that. And I think what scares Cowboys fans is the 2018 offense prior to Amari Cooper showing up when they were platooning it with Terrence Williams, Cole Beasley, Alan Hearns, Deontay Harris, uh, and Michael Gall- rookie Michael Gallup. Dak Prescott had only two games with a 100-plus passer rating before Amari Cooper got there. After Amari Cooper gets there, they, he has six games with a 100-plus passer rating. And I think that's where the trepidation lies for Cowboys fans because Ezekiel Elliott is a year older. Maybe, yeah, Tony Pollard, maybe, you know, he can help out the running game if, uh, you know, he gets the touches. But now you're dealing with that element, and is it going to look like that stagnant 2018 offense before the Amari Cooper trade? It just it engenders a lot of frustration and a lot of fear to hear that Amari Cooper is likely to be cut. Yeah, I don't. I don't quite think they're going to reach those 2018 levels again. Um, I think they're better prepared for a couple of reasons. You know, first of all, the most obvious is just the roster, right? You know, there was some of these other receivers you have could be in a position to take another step up. And then schematically, you know, I don't know if you have all the confidence in the world that Kellen Moore will do a lot for these guys, right? But I think McCarthy has heard some of the criticism of why didn't why hasn't he done more to help Kellen out? And he's going to take that into the season as well. And, you know, this is a guy who loves to talk about how he's been there and done that. And that's certainly true on the offensive side of the ball with some of the marquee names that Mike McCarthy's worked with. So I think uh, he's more than capable of selling that and trying to help some of these guys along. And, you know, they might draft a name or two here in the second or third rounds and keep trying to add talent to this receiver room to allow Prescott to elevate those around him, which is something they're still waiting on the franchise quarterback to do, I think. You don't have to necessarily force him to, to do that. Again, you could just also, I don't know, find a way to keep Amari Cooper, and that would be good for your franchise quarterback. But nonetheless, uh, you know, I don't quite think we're going to hit 2018 levels, but the fact that we're sitting here talking about it even being a possibility when this is a 12-win playoff team looking to take another step forward is uh, is frustrating, to say the least, because you know, how do you how do you get next to this team to 12 wins? How do you get him past a team like the 49ers that basically wasn't afraid of your running game and just 
sat back there in coverage and you watched your offense implode and not win you that not do enough at all to win you that game. Right. And the real problem is you start to make yourself uh, uh, easier to catch in the division because Dallas ran away with the division simply by having a quarterback. Oh, yeah. Simply by having Dak Prescott. They ran away with the division. And even, you know, okay, the Eagles got in, but that's just because there's an equal attention birthday cake playoff spot per conference these days. But it, it now, if you take it to where Dak Prescott is shackled a little bit and he's not able to, to go in there and make the big plays, the offense is stagnant, and the defense isn't fortunate. Uh, Lady Luck isn't with the defense as much in coming up with takeaways or red zone defense or what have you, then that's going to create some problems. And now the Cowboys are more catchable in the division race. And then, again, with the equal attention birthday cake uh, playoff spot in the NFC, uh, maybe they get in at 8 Seven and one, or whatever, eight, eight, or whatever. Let's see. I can't do math. The, rec- eight, the records nine. are weird with the seventeen. Yeah, yeah. Eight we're and used nine. to just talking about sixteen, right? <clears throat> right. They get in at eight and nine, and then they go lose on the road in the playoffs to the number two seed. No one wants to see that. No we're, one wants yeah, to see that as a follow up to this season. I think that everything been there, done that, right? Yeah, everything implodes in a scenario like that. Yeah, that's well said, Mark. And, you know, one of the things I wrote in that more doom and gloom article, which, again, came out less than 24 hours after one with glass half full in the headline, you just can't make this stuff up when it comes to the Dallas Cowboys sometimes, right? Um, Was, you know, schematically is something I like to write about. I like getting into the X's and O's of things sometimes. And, you know, to me, we've been so critical of – Kellen Moore's offense for kind of not incorporating that motion and being able to hit receivers on the run, right? You know, it's a lot of those stop routes that Scott Lenahan ran when he was here. And of course, Moore both played for and coached with Lenahan, or even, you know, going into what we consider Jason Garrett's coaching tree. It's a lot of those stop routes and curls and, you know, comebacks and things like that. And, you know, Michael Gallup kind of fits that, uh, fits that mold a little bit better. There's a lot that Amari Cooper does better that would also could be missing from this team. You're going to be relying on guys like, you know, maybe a Malik Turner or a Cedric Wilson, who both also need new contracts if you want them to be part of this, to uh, to give you kind of that explosiveness and that late in the down catchability and all that that I mentioned previously. But, you know, as far as if you're just looking for those stop route, big receiver, you know, go up and get it, fight through the contact, first down at a time type of offense – then, you know, Gallup can definitely be your guy, but he's going to have to do it without Cooper. CD Lamb's going to have to do more without Cooper. It's all it's all a domino effect that this team, unfortunately, put themselves in a position to, uh, to realize here. And that's the thing. If you take away a, a presence like Cooper on the offense, you have to infuse it somewhere. And that, that leads me to the next topic. Do you – if you're the Cowboys – uh, do they draft a receiver now 
Like, does the receiver become part of the draft needs, or do they have one already stashed on the roster? So here's a little bit of good news. I looked at Mike McCarthy's draft history at the wide receiver position. The Packers have a pretty specific archetype they look for at the position. You know, a lot of these names would be pretty familiar to just any NFL fan out there, and particular particularly Cowboys fans because we've had so many matchups with the Packers in the past. But he has hit on, you know, the second to third round has kind of been his sweet spot for adding talent at receiver. So we don't necessarily have to talk about getting a guy at 24 and you can use that pick elsewhere. And, and then that second or third round might be a better chance for the Cowboys to add a receiver. His second round picks going back to his days at the Packers were Greg Jennings, Jordy Nelson, Randall Cobb, who spent some time here in Dallas, and then Devontae Adams, who's on everybody's top list for the top free agents this year, but it always comes with an asterisk because the Packers are more than expected to retain him. must be nice to keep your number one receiver around. And then in the third round, he's hit previously on guys like James Jones, Ty Montgomery, and then even a six-round pick, Equinemia St. Brown, is still hanging on with uh, today's Green Bay Packers and able to contribute a little bit there. So, yeah, I do think receiver is kind of one of those positions – almost like offensive line where you have to do routine maintenance in the draft or free agency or both where you just want to constantly keep adding somebody because you never know what role you'll find for him, be it special teams or backup or somebody gets hurt. And there's no better time than now, I think, for the Cowboys to do that. So there's going to be some opportunity here. And I think that they could get in a situation where they bring back Cedric Wilson and Malik Turner. Don't forget about Simi Fajoko that they think these guys can step up and provide some utility or some contribution, and you're still in that 2018 uh, receiver by committee, but it's a better committee because you've got C.D. Lamb. And I think C.D. Lamb can contribute. I, I don't think it's, it's going to – the receiving core is going to be as bad as it was in 2018, but – in terms of consistency, I don't know that it's going to be as consistent as the 2020 through 21 receiving cores. Yeah, we're recording this so close to when all this Cooper news broke that there's no other way for this to sound and other than me, you know, drinking the Cowboys Kool-Aid and being an apologist and saying, you know, oh, you're just believing what the front office tells you. But I kind of like what Malik Turner brought this team in very limited, very limited, of course, opportunity you know he has some of that quick twitch ability he's no Amari Cooper of course but he has some of that kind of suddenness to his game the run after the catch the long speed the ability to separate down the field you know those types of things he actually averaged 12.4 yards per catch and you know to kind of get into some scouting looks again tell me if you if you see where I'm coming from here Mark I looked at other receivers from last season that had similar yards per catch of course with more production and more consistency and these are all much more proven players, but that that number kind of puts him in a group of some guys that you could sort of almost see him developing into if you know you get the best-case scenario out of Malik Turner. He's right in there with guys like DJ Moore, uh, Tyler Boyd, Eliza Moore from the Jets, Robert Woods, and Michael Pittman. Now, again, best-case scenario is that he becomes any of those guys, but he's kind of you know a fringe just as far as his play style, his body type, all of that. You could sort of see him being that guy, and you know, the Cowboys might not necessarily need him to be that because you're expecting really big things from C.D. Lamb and they're expecting even bigger things from Michael Gallup. So 
yeah, I do think there's a role for Malik Turner to definitely contribute, and you can get him on a team-friendly deal. And then I do want to see Cedric Wilson back on this offense as well. He's always been a personal favorite of mine going all the way back to that draft. I like Cedric Wilson just from the utility standpoint of a guy who can fill in all the roles and also he's a big special teams contributor. But with Malik Turner, I think that all of these guys have the ability to take over games or beat single coverage. What happens is once, how do they respond once defensive coordinators game plan for them? Once they get figured to be part of the the action, then how do they respond? How does a Malik Turner look when he's getting bracketed, when he's getting special attention? What's he like at that point? Uh, but in terms of, I mean, he did. When, <clears throat> as we saw in the Broncos game, when we saw with some of his opportunities, when it when he was left alone, he took advantage of it, and that's encouraging. But what it, it just how does that translate going forward? And you can really only know by actually throwing him in the action. That's the only way Dallas is going to get to know this. Hey, by the way, folks, if you want to hear some of the best draft coverage on the blog and the boys podcast network, check out Talk in the Draft. With Connor Live Say and Mark Schofield, it debuts. I mean, it releases on Wednesdays, and you can find it on blogandtheboys.com and on Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and Stitcher, where you can also find the Hidden Yardage Podcast. You're really starting to feel like draft season, and Mark and Connor are incredible. So definitely recommend their work to not only Cowboys fans, but just fans that want to get smarter about the game of football, those are your guys to do it. And, you know, you mentioned what the Cowboys can do to help these receivers. I'll tell you, one thing they better figure out, just beyond any doubt, they want to do anything next season, is you better find a way to uh, stop defenses from, you know, being able to kind of play the run as an afterthought against you. I mean, that just crushed you down the stretch of the season, and they, and they, lost, they cost you that playoff game against the 49ers. I mean, you're slamming your head against the wall trying to, run into these six man boxes and, and they're still stopping the run. So teams are like, man, I could just I could just bracket up all these receivers. You know, I can just force them to try to beat us intermediate. And Ezekiel Elliott's not gonna beat us either and they're not gonna give the ball to Tony Pollard. I mean it was just uh, very frustrating. I know that's a word I've used a lot this show already to watch the Cowboys run the ball against these soft boxes and not have success. So whether it's a offensive alignment at twenty four, which still remains a popular prediction in mock drafts and all that, or more, or like I said, more touches for Pollard or anything like that. You better find a way to change the looks that defenses are able to have success against you with uh, in 2022 here, and that would really help all of these receivers, not only your top guys in Gallup and Lamb, but that's how you get a guy like Cedric Wilson to do more. That's how you get a guy like Malik Turner to start making plays when when they respect the run and when you have to play different looks and you can throw out of different formations. And these are all things that Kellen Moore has shown. Just how do you do it against defenses that you know aren't expecting it at the right times and the sequencing and the game flow and all of that. For sure. And it really begs the question when you consider it. How smart does Ezekiel Elliott look 
getting his contract extension in 2019 ahead of this uh, cap salary cap reckoning. Well, any running back that is able to get a second contract these days looks, you know, looks really good, right? You know, it's just a position that the NFL is, seems fine with just rotating guys in and out, and the numbers prove why that's a good idea is from everything from cap space to contract numbers to longevity to position to the production you get going all the way down the line from four football picks to, you know, six-round guys. So, yeah, there's still a role for Elliott to help this team. Like I just said, you can – find ways to force defenses to respect it a little bit more. And then that opens up the passing game, which you're going to need if you want to get the ball to guys, that, um, you know, without having Cooper out there, right? So, yeah, Elliott was certainly a focal point in this offense the second he was drafted, and you expected nothing less when you were fourth overall, fourth overall pick, and the Cowboys have taken it pretty far in terms of trying to keep him as that guy, and maybe they'd be better off going some different directions that way, but – you know, nonetheless, he's uh, he's what you're going to have lining up in the backfield because he did get himself that contract extension, and now the Cowboys are living with it. Yeah, Zeke who? <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah, it, I think it was smart on his part to get it because you saw what they did with Demarcus Lawrence, for example. He comes off of that Pro Bowl season, and then he gets the franchise tag. No problem. And then their intent to franchise tag him again. And then he gets the con he gets that contract locked up. And now, you know, they're asking him to take a pay cut. Same thing with Amari Cooper in twenty nineteen. He was entering I think he still had one more year on his deal. It was 2020. And he's going into... Yeah, they they re-signed him in 2020. So 2019 was the last year of his deal. And you remember Michael Thomas from the New Orleans Saints was up for a contract. And the Saints did it. And then that reset the market. So now you'd have to re-sign Amari Cooper to that amount. And it was because Dallas didn't lock Cooper up, set the market so that that way they didn't have another team, an external force, setting the market in their deal. And that was also the same. I think Jalen Smith, yeah, he got his deal in 2019 as well. So for Zeke to get it at that particular point, and not wait until they had they went through the 2019 season or throughout the 2019 season or wait until he got to the end of his fifth year option to make the deal it looks very prudent on his part from a cowboys perspective i i think that they they really messed themselves up in terms of the priority list. They went for kind of first come, first serve when they should have tried to get the Dak Prescott deal locked up because no then doubt. that would have dictated how the rest of the dominoes would have fallen. 
it's a pretty alarming trend, isn't it? You know, the guys that they signed too early don't end up panning out, and then the guys that you need to get signed because they've finally proven that they can consistently produce throughout the length of the contract, you have to pay you know more than the Cowboys are willing to, and then they're also not willing to be as flexible with the cap as some of these other teams like the Rams and all that to uh, you know just to make this thing work and to get this roster where it needs to go. You know, we always talk about every training camp we get sucked into like. Oh man, they got all these guys. Look at, look at who's going to be able to contribute up and down the roster. And then, you know, a couple of weeks into the season, we're talking about beyond the first line on the depth chart. It's really just it's not good enough. And how do you end up with a roster like that? Well, you're paying those guys that are on the first line either too much, or you know, you didn't make the right decisions on who you let walk, which could could continue to be the case this off season. And that's how you end up exactly where Stephen Jones and Jerry Jones and the Cowboys are right now. You know, with Elliott, uh, he's a guy that he didn't ask for, you know, some of these offensive line issues to come up. He didn't ask to be handed the ball in a no-win no situation where there's, you know, nine guys down in the box and Prescott or Cowan doesn't check out of the play. So there's things that he could be doing to help more. There's things the Cowboys could be doing to help him more. But the broader picture here is that, you know, just the way they go about handing out these next contracts who has been pretty alarming. And with DeMarcus Lawrence, you know, he shouldn't uh, be in a position where he has to take a pay cut. You know, the Cowboys would love if he miraculously changes his mind and does so. But defensive ends a position that makes a lot of money out on the open market. The Cowboys might realize that with Randy Gregory as well. There's some reports that they're already trying to ask him to take a hometown discount. And there's a whole laundry list of reasons off the field why Gregory should always consider that when the Cowboys come to the table with it. But nonetheless, he might make a phone call to his teammate there, DeMarcus Lawrence, and say, you know, hey, we you've tested the open market before, or at least have seen what these numbers go for when it comes to defensive ends and free agency. And, you know, the grass might be greener somewhere else for, you know, you certainly hope not both of these guys. You know, the Cowboys haven't shown that in recent years in terms of being willing to just let guys completely tear up their roster. They're going to find a way to keep some of this homegrown talent. So one of the defensive ends is going to be here, but then that still makes another draft need that you're going to have to fill. And there's only so much you could do with the 24th overall pick. And you got your NFC East rivals picking uh, multiple times ahead of you. So yeah, it all adds up to uh, exactly where the Cowboys are right now in the off season. Well, that, that's a nice segue to the next topic. Do you think DeMarcus Lawrence is next? Next to likely be cut. Uh, I, for the sake of having to write about this team and do this show, I hope not because like this episode has been so like down. I think uh, you know we try to work in a little positivity. I know we're going to talk about some combine pet cats a little bit later, so that'll be fun. But nonetheless, you know I don't want to have this conversation about Demarcus Lawrence. Uh, I I don't know if any Cowboys fans want to listen to it either. So. Yeah, I hope we're not sitting here talking about, you know, DeMarcus Lawrence. I'll kind of make the flip point to, you know, what I just said about other opposing defenses being able to play the Cowboys in a way that really hurt your passing game. You know, Mike McCarthy talks about how self-scout is so important and all that. You know, the Cowboys self-scout on being able to play their own run defense without DeMarcus Lawrence, I don't think would be pretty. You know, they can watch what happened this year and Parsons made a ton of plays and, you know, maybe you get more from Quentin Bohanna or you draft another defensive tackle to play with him and Oso Diggy Zua and, you know, go ahead and talk about, again, all these mid-order depth chart guys that get overvalued and overhyped. But 
I don't think you want to be in a position where you're trying to play the run on early downs without DeMarcus Lawrence, and then teams are consistently facing second and third and shorts against you. It's like, hey, why why can't this defense get turnovers? Why can't Trayvon Diggs go get the ball? Oh, it's because you know opposing offenses are really getting whatever they want against you, uh, and they're having early down success and all that. So those are the things that you get or that you would miss with DeMarcus Lawrence, depending on which way that goes. Yeah, and if a team can just run the ball and pick up four yards of carry, I mean, it makes the rest of of the series that much. It just decreases the stress. And I feel like that is what Lawrence does bring is some stress to first and second down which then plays into really one of the strengths of the defense now is, like you said, Diggs and then Michael Parsons being the utility guy. I mean, if that is what you can get to on third down as opposed to not even getting the third down at all or third and short, then it's just – it's uh, – it's the domino theory, Sean. It's the domino theory because then the offense without Amari Cooper is going to have to try to win uh, slugfests with teams now. Uh, yeah, it's just you know, like I said, I mean, yeah, we, we, we've talked about we've talked about what does this team have you know to hang their hat on. That's kind of a overarching offseason topic. You know, find the one thing you want to be really good at and and go do it and put whatever resources it takes to make it happen. We all thought that was going to be the passing game for you know the next several seasons. We, we really thought that they were set up very nicely there with Gallup, Lamb, Cooper, and Prescott and everything. And we thought it was going to be the passing game. And now we're talking about, oh, well, that might be more middle of the road. Or if you were able to keep Lawrence, and okay, maybe it's the run defense. Or maybe it's you know just the overall defense. And, and they can build off what they did this past year. Well, now we're talking about you know, losing key players from that. So, yeah, you, I do think you still have more than enough here to, you know, go win the NFC East or anything like that. You know, it's it's March, so we're not in the position to really dive into those topics just yet. But nonetheless, I think this, you know, is a team that could still go the right direction. But what's that one thing to hang your hat on for knowing how you could win games and how to prepare to win games with a head coach who – as it's back against the wall a little bit, you know, what's the, uh, what's this team's identity? What's their calling card? And they're losing the guys that gave them that in, in these past couple of seasons. Yep. And they've got a chance in the NFL draft to add some guys and to uh, really, like I said, right now is the part where you open up your, the socks on Christmas and you see your cousins get all of the cool games and everything and cash in the gift cards and everything. And you get the socks and you get the books and you get the educational toys. Okay. But that flips when the draft comes around because the Cowboys usually draft well. So then that's like a, a good birthday where you get the gift cards in the cash in the birthday cards and all of the cool gifts and everything. So, like I said, the draft is probably where it'll flip and then Cowboys fans will start to have some optimism. The NFL Combine is over. And now I got to ask you, Sean, 
who are some of your pet cats coming out of Indianapolis? So two quick side notes. I've actually owned a pair of cowboy socks in my lifetime. I don't think I currently have them though. They were blue with the, uh, with the star on it. So just, I feel like our listeners should know that. And then second, much quicker here, uh, pet cat is one of my favorite terms. So I adore you for getting this into the show, but we'd be remiss uh, with, you know, with not starting this list uh, with Jordan Davis. I think he's everybody's draft crush right now to, Defensive tackle out of Georgia, who just ran like a freight train, four seven eight, which even more mind blowing. His own teammate at defensive tackle, Devin Wyatt, beat him out by a you know micro fraction of a second. He ran a four seven seven. So you, know, you want to want to talk about ways that you can praise Georgia's defense enough? I don't know how you don't start with the fact they have two defensive tackles that move like that. You know, it's like how do you beat Nick Saban in Alabama? What's the blueprint? What can we take from Kirby Smart and watch tape, all these defensive coordinators around the country? Well, you know, go find two defensive tackles that run like, you know, track stars and, and good luck with that. So Jordan Davis out of Georgia for his size, it's incredible. Teams who I know going into the combine were worried about his pass rush ability. Is he a two-down player? Is there anything to work with as a pass rusher there to develop? And I think just that speed alone tells you the answer is yes with the way he'll be able to, uh, you know, just jump into the backfield and, get off the ball and things like that. So I'm not going to tell Cowboys fans to get hyped up for a defensive tackle at 24, especially a nose tackle type player, because we know that they've devalued that position for so long. And we've already had so much to be down about this offseason, getting our hopes behind them doing something that they usually don't do in the draft. It's just asking for more of that. So Jordan Davis might be somebody else's uh, Christmas gift or whatever you want to call him in this draft, but nonetheless, what an incredible performance there, and he should be in the mix for 24. Ahmad Gardner, the cornerback out of Cincinnati, is another guy that, again, matching the tape to the combine drills, I think he did that better than almost anybody. On tape, you see a lengthy, athletic, go-get-the-ball type of guy, almost like a Trayvon Diggs. Flips his hips well, really sticky in coverage, uses his length, his balance, uh, aggressive at the point of contact, and all of his drills back that up. Kalen Barnes, we have to mention, you know, a Texas player played here at Baylor University and set the new combine record for 40 time. And you mentioned, Mark, you know, the Cowboys, at what point do they need to look for a receiver in this draft? Is it early on? Is it an after? Is it a back burner type of thought? You know, Barnes is still a guy that even with the headline of that 40 time is going to be a late round option. So, you know, Jerry likes to make his splashes sometimes. And if they're looking up at a guy like Barnes, I think everybody could find a use for that speed on their team. Amari Barno is a defensive end out of Virginia Tech who tested very well in all the measurements compared to the other defensive ends. He had the best broad jump and 40 time, which again backs up his tape in terms of being an athletic, kind of well-rounded rusher, uses his hands well, doesn't let blockers get into his frame, can play on the edge, uh, good knockback in his hands against bigger tackles, all of that. He's a nice option there. Again, out of Virginia Tech. And then Chad Moomer, the uh, linebacker out of Wyoming. And there's concerns about you know, what he'll do when teams get him on the whiteboard type of deal with the combine and in his pre-draft visits, you know, the processing speed and the angles he takes and certain things like that. But this is a player that drops into coverage well. He had the most bench press reps at the linebacker position, so his play strength isn't an issue and really just a tough-nosed uh, type of player there with a lot of room to develop as kind of a mid-round option at linebacker. One guy that I like is Michael Clemens from Texas A&M. He's 6'5", 263. He did 24 bench press 
and his broad jump was 116 at the combine. I think that he's someone that could fill in and as a Dorrance Armstrong type. I don't know that he would be able to contribute right away as a starter, but in terms of as someone that's part of the rotation, someone you could put in there on uh, on running downs. Like I said, think of Dorrance Armstrong in his career trajectory with the Cowboys. You stole one of my pet cats in Kalen Barnes, uh, so I will go with his uh, with his teammate from Baylor, Jalen Petrie. I oh, that's a good name. Yeah, yeah he's someone that. I think Dallas, you know, why, why do I even say this? I mean, like saying that Dallas should safety. look at a safety is <laughs> just, I, I don't know why I say it, but he's one of my pet cats. And uh, not to, again, make it about a Texas school or anything, but Tyquan Thornton, only because he ran a 4-2-8 and he, Terrence Williams came from there. So you figure that Dallas does have some sort of, you know, affinity for Baylor receivers. And another one that I'll make my pet cat uh, is Grant Morgan, the linebacker from Arkansas, who won the Jason Witten Award. So those are my guys. Those are my pet cats. And one thing to keep an eye on, uh, Texas A&M offensive line in Kenyon Green, there was a lot of teams hopeful that he would show enough to you know, project as like a swing tackle guard type of guy, but that's not really the case as far as the buzz coming out of this combine. He's really, uh, you know, to me, I, I, and I have a full scouting report up on him on, on our site. To me, I don't think, you know, that hurts his value to just be, to come out of the combine knowing he's just a guard because I think a team playing him a guard is getting a damn good one. You know, just the aggressiveness, the uh, the hand play, everything with him says, you know, a guy you can plug and play for a long time at guard and, be really happy with it. So the Cowboys are certainly in the market for that. Yes, you can make the argument that they need a tackle as well, or at worst, you know, a guard slash tackle type of guy. And so they might not value someone that's just a guard, but I think that hole at left guard is big enough for them to, uh, to look at this as maybe good news that Kenyon Green didn't elevate his stock as a swing tackle type of option to get picked ahead of them. And if they want to go that route at 24, he, he could certainly be there as, an interior offensive lineman. Yeah, and I don't think that taking a guard in the late first round is going to upset some people. Because think about it, that's where Travis Frederick was taken, was I believe at number 31 overall with the San Francisco 49ers pick when they executed that trade and then they got an extra third and then they picked up Terrence Williams. So I don't think people are going to howl too much about that. Uh, just given Dallas's track record with having success in those types of situations. I mean, Zach Martin was mid to late round, uh, first round, and they look at the success they had with him. Uh, it's just more so the investment of that high of a pick to fix a problem that should have been fixed earlier. Um but, you know, hey, they tried with Connor Williams and Connor McGovern and Tyler Biotich, but now they've got to start investing those first-round picks again, which then c- compromises their ability to address other needs 
on the roster, especially since you want to be fiscally conservative with the salary cap. Uh, so it's just, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it's like the seasons, you know, Sean, it's just, I mean, it's the way it is. I mean, at a certain point, it's like arguing with the sun every morning. I mean, you just got to accept it. Yeah, the sun's always been there, right? You know, this is one of those drafts where we're kind of falling into the trap of like there's so many different directions still that the Cowboys could viably go with the 24th overall pick. There's so many roster needs, and it's like, you know, every every draft discussion you have about this team right now, it's kind of like, oh, you bring up a guy, it's like, oh, well, I, I like him, but I think they'd be better off getting, you know, a second or third round guy at that same position that could be just as good. And then it's like, okay, so what about this guy at a different position? And then you say the same thing. It's like, well, you better find that position where you're not going to like what you get in the later rounds and you lock in on getting a true ready-to-start day one type of guy because you know, we talked last week's episode about how this last year's class is being held up pretty much by the only one who contributed consistently from day one all the way through was Parsons, and he was your first-round pick, of course. So you know, this idea that you're going to like guys later on and that's the reason why you pass on a certain prospect at 24 – didn't really happen last year for the Cowboys, and I wouldn't hang my hat on it happening again. So, you know, there's guys like Trevor Penning who helped themselves at the combine. He might come out of range to be that swing tackle option at 24. So that that might be the reason you look at a guy like Kenyon Green instead. But nonetheless, you better hone in on a position here where you feel like you're getting a day one starter. And then, of course, you know, the way we're talking about them losing three agents, you better also try to find a way to come away with more than one starter in this year's class. All right, before we get out of here, Sean, let's go ahead and take a look at some Cowboys birthdays for this week. On Monday, turning 72 years old, so Billy Joe Dupree, he was on the Cowboys 1977 12-2 Super Bowl 12 winning squad that defeated the Denver Broncos 27-10. Doomsday in the Dome it was, down in the Superdome. And Billy Joe Dupree, that's where he got his ring. He turned 72 years old. And hey, kind of like how on Mondays you get hidden yardage and you also get first and 10 with Dave Sturchio, Tony Catalina, and Aiden Davis, you get another Cowboys birthday on Monday with Steve Berline, who turns 57 years old. He filled in for Troy Aikman. They learned he's a good guy. I always hate to put him down in his <laughs> career. But it's a fact, and this is why we love Babe Laufenberg, because he does have an element of self-deprecation to him, which just makes you endearing to everyone. But because Steve Laufenberg was so bad in the final two games of 1990, filling in for Troy Aikman and costing Dallas a playoff spot, they traded for Steve Berline in the, with the Oakland, the Los Angeles Raiders in the 91 preseason, get Berline as a backup to Aikman which they needed him in the final five games. He finished the beating of the 11-0 Washington NFC East juggernauts at RFK Stadium. He won the last five games of the season and a playoff game at Soldier Field to give Dallas their first playoff win since 1982. And so Steve Berline turns 57. On Tuesday, this is one you'll remember, Sean, Marcus Spears, the Cowboys' first Second first-round pick from 05, turns 39 years old. He was with the Cowboys from 05 to 2012. 
Yeah, kind of another guy who fits this draft uh, mold that we've been talking about for a long time with the Cowboys here. They've been fortunate to keep a lot of the scouting staff and Will McClay and all that in place, and that's why you have you know this consistency in the draft. Spears is a guy who stepped in right away, was able to just play a lot of downs for a long time and really be a consistent and important part of this defense. So here's hoping they find more in this year's draft, and happy birthday to Mr. Spears there. Yeah, go ahead and – Wish him a happy birthday on Twitter. Hashtag Hidden Yardage. On Wednesday, Antonio Bryant turns 41 years old. Uh, Bryant, he was the first um, Bryant 88 for Dallas, uh, taken out of Pittsburgh in the 02 draft. And he was traded midway through the 04 season because he threw a towel in Bill Parcell's face. So they shipped him to Cleveland <laughs> and they got Quincy Morgan in his place. Sounds like a very Bill Parcell's thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on Thursday, Martellus Bennett turns 35 years old. Marty B. He was taken in the second round in 2008 from Texas A&M. He had promise in his rookie year. He got four touchdown passes. He'd never catch another touchdown pass for the Cowboys after that uh, as he was with the team through the 2011 season. He goes to New York. You'll probably remember this, Sean. He goes to New York, and this is the year, this is, you know, the offseason. They had just won the Super Bowl the year before. And he says that Eli Manning was the best quarterback he ever played with. Now that, yeah, now that you bring it up, I remember that. Like, that's not something I would have ever recalled, like just without discussing Martellus Bennett now. But yeah, that was a that was a weird thing. You know, the Cowboys have had some history here with tight ends that they just couldn't utilize, right? And like just didn't fit certain schemes and things like that. And that's why they were able to go on elsewhere and sometimes contribute. But you know, Eli Manning is a sensitive subject around New York. They all think that he's one of the greats of all time, and not only other fans of the NFC East, but other fans just throughout the football world everywhere love to tell them how crazy they are for thinking that. You know, he did bring them two Super Bowls and uh, and all that. But nonetheless, Bennett was kind of out of line there, we all think, as Dallas fans. And we also wish that he uh, contributed more during his playing days here. But you mentioned he had some promise there starting out his career. Yep. And uh, an example of the Cowboys hitting on an undrafted free agent, Danny McCray. I believe does stuff with the mothership. He turns 34 years old on Thursday. Uh, he played safety for Dallas from 2010 to 2013. And then also on Thursday, if you have to throw the switch and pick between rescuing Michael Gallup off the railroad tracks or Cedric Wilson, <laughs> if it's on a Thursday, which is his 27th birthday, you have to pick Cedric Wilson and rescue him from the railroad tracks. Oh, of course. It is. And again, I mentioned I've been a fan of Wilson going all the way back to his draft class and how I thought he was a steal in the sixth round for the Cowboys. So not only happy birthday, but I really do hope to uh, to see him back with this team. For sure. And uh, turning 41 on Sunday, the 13th, is LP Laudasur. He was the long snapper for Dallas from 05 Go. to 2020. Uh, until, you know, they didn't re-sign him, they released him, whatever, and they brought in Jake McQuaid because he had a relationship with Bones Fossil. Hey, you know, it's the way it is. But Lauda Sewer came to the Cowboys because John Kondo, 
who was the long snapper for Dallas for the first three games, had trouble getting the ball to Romo to get the snap down. And it actually cost Dallas an extra point, which back in those days you kicked from the two-yard line. So to miss an extra point back then was bad. And this happened in week three against at San Francisco. Jose Cortez misses the extra point, and he's yelling and blaming people. And then Larry Allen comes in and punches Jose Cortez in the face. <laughs> and then the next week, Dallas, they were staying in uh, thousand. No, they were staying in Oxnard because they played week three at San Francisco, week four at Oakland. They stayed in Oxnard, and then when they were there, they tried out um, um, L.P. Laudasur because he went to college at California Lutheran, which is where the campus on Thousand Oaks is, where the Dallas Cowboys used to have training camp from 61 to 89. Anyway, they signed him in week four, and then he played all the way through the 2020 season. Those are your Cowboys' birthdays. Football is such an imperfect game, and that's why the long snap position is awesome because it might be the only position, not only in football, but in all sports where you can truly say if somebody was perfect or not because it's the definition of you had a one-job position, right? Like if, if they never have a bad snap, you can say that play was perfect. And LPR, I'd just say to anybody's record out there, it was pretty much perfect. He had that one penalty in Washington. And we all know that wasn't really a penalty, and it cost the Cowboys the game, so it was a horrible time for his one mistake. That wasn't a mistake. But other than that, in his snapping history, he was a perfect player, and there's really no other position or player you can say it about than the GOAT LPI to say. Yeah, and, and a good example of that, Trey Junkin, who was from Conway, Arkansas, down near Little Rock, and he, had, he went to Louisiana Tech. He had an amazing NFL career. It went for over, you know, 20 years. And he flubbed the, the a game-winning field goal in the O2 uh, NFC wild card. He was playing for the Giants, and he flubbed their game-winning field goal, and they lost to, at the San Francisco 49ers. And he said that on that particular long snap, he thought about it. He just he thought about it. And in that moment, because it was no longer a part of the muscle memory and everything, he flubbed it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's such a big part of the game. And you, you hear athletes in all sports say all the time, you know, they don't want to think about some of those big moments or things like that. So, yeah, for him to say that, it makes sense to why it would why it would create the issue. And, you know, that's an unfortunate way to, uh, I guess, be remembered there. All right. If I were thinking of following you on Twitter, where would I do it? I don't know why you would want to do that, but at Sean Martin NFL, if you want to come on in and join the ride. You can follow me on Twitter at The Real Mark Lane. You can follow us. You can download our podcasts on Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and Stitcher. You've been listening to the Hidden Yardage Podcast. So there it is. <laughs> <laughs>